Good morning, everyone. How are you all doing? You know, I thought the lockdown was over, but here I am um, once more locked down. Not because I've got the Rona, uh, but because I've got something that I don't want to pass on to the rest of you. And if we're telling everyone to stay at home if they're unwell, then I better follow that too. But I was excited about this sermon for this weekend, so I didn't want to miss an opportunity to share it with you. So in a perkier moment from yesterday, we've pre-recorded this for you. Um, to share with you this morning, but we wish that we—I wish that I could be with you. I—I I am there. Josh will be there with you. I, so I lucky am in two you. places at once. Whoa. Um, yes. So thank you for having me via the airwaves this morning. So if you keep up to date with local and international news, it will be no surprise to you that the headlines recently have been filled with news about the death of George Floyd in America, and then filled with all of the resulting protests, marches and rallies that have been occurring there, um, which this tragedy has led to. And although here in Hamilton, New Zealand, we're quite far away from where George Floyd died in Minneapolis, Minnesota, we haven't remained unaffected by what his untimely death has highlighted or uncovered. And here, there has been protests, rallies, marches as well of a similar nature. Because what George Floyd's death has highlighted, or once again uncovered and brought to light, is that in the Western world, we live in a society where social justice is severely lacking. And those who are oppressed by various social systems are crying out to be heard and to be seen and are crying out for change. But the question seems to be, are we listening? In the last couple of weeks, I've been able to have some really interesting and insightful conversations with different people about the issues that have been highlighted with these recent events. And so I wanted to be able to have a conversation with you all this morning to discuss the following questions. Who is just social justice concerned with? Why do we need to care about social justice? And how can we help to see social justice brought to those who need it? This conversation is an intro to a little three-week series looking at the teachings of Jesus on justice. But in order to have a conversation, I need a conversation partner. And so who better to call on than one that has participated in these conversations with me? So I have Josh here with me this morning to chat with and to start unpacking some of the basics concerning social justice. And I want to offer this disclaimer as well before we begin. I am not an expert. I am only barely scratching the surface of systematic issues that run so, so deep and systematic issues that my culture is responsible for, which makes me really uncomfortable to know and to acknowledge. I also acknowledge that given the fact that I am a white woman of European descent born in Aotearoa, I will never truly be able to understand the depths of pain and hurt that are felt every day by members of our society who are oppressed by our systems. But I am on an uncomfortable yet necessary journey to listen and to learn, to research and to understand what I can so that I might be able to be a part of bringing justice to the land of Aotearoa. 
And I invite you to come with me this morning on this uncomfortable yet important journey, starting this morning to listen and learn, to research and to understand what we can do so that together we might affect positive change for our brothers and sisters in this land, starting in our own community. Let me just pray as we get into it. Father God, we thank you that you so deeply care about every single person um, who is a part of this land, a part of this world. Father, thank you for the way that you created this land. Um, you've created us, God, to flourish under you, to flourish living with you, in relationship with you. And we thank you, God, that you are so concerned about justice. You are a just God and you want to see people reconciled. You want to see people living in peace, living in your peace, God. I pray that as we start this conversation this morning, a conversation which might be confronting and difficult, that the discomfort that we feel would not cause us to turn away in anger, but rather to, to press on, that we would press into that discomfort, God, so that we might be inspired to seek change, inspired to act for change, and inspired to look into what we can do to help affect change. So God, be with us this morning. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, God, and help us to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Josh, fancy seeing you here. How are you this morning? I'm good, thank you. And good. yourself? Yep, well, I've been better, but that's okay. Um, I was wondering if, as we begin, you could describe for me kind of your level of um, knowledge or understanding or even awareness of these kind of justice issues before George Floyd's death pushed them into the forefront of our media. Well, to be honest, not a lot, though I did know that there was more that I could do and probably should do, both to understand and to actually do. Okay, thank you for that. Um, so like myself, you were pretty unaware. But now that your awareness is starting to grow a little, your understanding is beginning to be expanded, how do these conversations make you feel? It brings about a sense of discomfort and really highlights the huge gaps in my understanding. Ah, right. Well, funnily enough, discomfort is quite a good feeling in situations like these. But is there any way that I can maybe help with these gaps in your understanding? Is there any questions that you might have that you could ask me? Well, first of all, I just want to know a little more about social justice. What is it all about? Mm. And is it even talked about in the Bible? Great questions, Josh. You know, surprisingly enough, I have been considering these sort of questions very similar to these myself, which has led me into doing a bit of research of my own. So I'd like to start talking about what the Bible has to say about it, because the Bible has so much to say. It has a ton to say, and that should help us understand what social justice is all about. So the following stuff that I'm going to talk through, I found a lot of it in an article um, by Tim Keller, and he unpacks the issue of justice in the Bible. So the Hebrew word that we would translate to justice is mishpat, and it's used over 200 times in various forms throughout the Old Testament. And the most basic meaning of mishpat is to treat people equitably 
or fairly. It means that everyone is to be acquitted, freed or punished only on the merits of their case, regardless of their race, race or social status. So essentially Mishpat in its most basic sense says that anyone who does the same wrong should be given the same penalty. But Mishpat goes further than just talking about rightful punishment. Mishpat also means giving people their rights. For example, Deuteronomy 18 states that people must support their priests in the tabernacle by giving them a certain percentage of their income. And this support is described as the priest's mishpat, which means their due or their right. Mishpat then is giving people what they are due, whether punishment, protection or care. And this is why if you were to look at the occurrence of Mishpat throughout the Old Testament, you would notice a huge consistency in the classes of people that Mishpat is concerned with. Over and over again, Mishpat describes taking up the care and cause of widows, orphans, immigrants and the poor. In biblical times, these four groups had no social power. They lived with so little that they were only ever days away from starvation if there was any famine, invasion or even a minor social upset. Today, this list we could expand it to include refugees, migrant workers, homeless people and many single parents and elderly people. The mishpat or justness of a society, according to the Bible, can be evaluated based on how it treats these groups. And if neglect is shown, it shows that the, there is not only a lack of mercy, but a violation of justice, of mishpat. Psalm 68 says, Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God. God loves and defends those with the least economic and social power, and so should we. Social justice focuses on who, rather than what. It looks at those who are experiencing injustice, and it is concerned with mishpat. Social justice desires to treat people fairly and to give people their rights. Right. So if social justice is focused on who, then who is the who in our society? So here in Aotearoa, we are a part of the Western world. And that means that our societal systems, such as our justice system, our health system, our education system, etc., 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 have been built from a white Western viewpoint. And what that means is that from the very word go, from the moment someone who isn't white enters our country, whether it be through birth or immigration, it means that they are already on the back foot. Because our systems have been built to support and to provide for a white Western way of living. So that means that the who in New Zealand that social justice is concerned with is anyone who isn't white or European. That means those who are Māori, Pacifica, Indian, Sri Lankan, Pakistani, Arab, Hispanic, South American, African, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Indonesian, Malaysian, Filipino, and the list could go on and on and on. But all of these people 
and more will start in New Zealand at a disadvantage simply because of their race, because of something that they cannot control. And that's not okay, if you ask me. But social justice isn't only concerned with racial injustices, it's concerned with all in our society who are disadvantaged by our societal systems. Social justice is also concerned with the disabled, with those who cannot work or don't have work, for those battling addictions, the homeless, those living in poverty, children in foster care, women, the elderly, single parents, and once again, I know the list could go on, I know there's some I've forgotten, and I mean, what does that say about the injustice of our society? Yeah, wow. Well, it really says a lot. When it's put like that, it seems so unfair. You're right, Josh, it does seem wildly unfair, and it is unfortunate that it often takes putting it kind of plainly in these sort of harsh terms for in order for those of us who are white to see the injustice of the situation. And that's our white privilege coming into play. Ooh, white privilege. Are you really going to go there? Well, you know, we're two white people talking about issues of injustice, so I mean I kind of have to go there. And I don't bring up the subject of white privilege to try and rile people up because, I mean, I know it will. I mean, when my own white privilege was pointed out to me, I was a little bit riled. I felt like now I was being targeted because of something that I couldn't control. And I was told I was being mean and I didn't even know I was doing anything. But that's not why I mention it to get people riled up. I mention it simply to raise awareness, to get minds turning over and to hopefully start a little bit of self-reflection. Our white privilege, it is real. And it does mean that we will never fully be able to understand the experiences of those in our societies who aren't white. We just can't because we live within systems, societal systems that have been built to work primarily for us. Our white privilege, it's prone to blinding us to seeing the injustices that others experience around us. And it can also blind us from seeing how we are often contributing to the oppression in our societies without realizing it. Contributing to the oppression. That sounds a bit harsh. You said earlier that social justice is about treating people fairly. And I do that. How am I contributing to the oppression if I'm treating people fairly myself? So treating people fairly is definitely a good start. Don't get me wrong, but treating people fairly, as you've said you do, just isn't quite enough in the war on injustice. There have been some hard-hitting statements flying around recently, such as silence is compliance and it's not enough to just not be racist, you need to be actively anti-racist. Or, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, then you have chosen the side of the oppressor. What these statements are saying is that it's not enough when it comes to injustice for us to keep, simply keep to ourselves and worry only about our own actions. Injustice isn't going to be transformed or undone by staying focused on ourselves. We need to be actively pursuing ways to fight against the systems that oppress others 
and our societies and raise awareness of these injustices so that others might join us in this fight. So I have a little picture here that might help you understand. So first of all, I just want to give a little bit of context to this picture here. So this picture shows three avid Chiefs fans who have purchased standing green zone tickets to watch the Chiefs play at FMG Stadium. And when they get there, they're actually quite surprised to discover that the Chiefs have switched to baseball. But today that's neither here nor there for them. What's most frustrating for these fans is the fact that those leaning bars in the green zone have been filled in and instead they've been made into a leaning fence, which as you can see isn't the best setup for all the fans. So when the fans approach the stadium staff and ask for a solution, these are the options that they get. The image on the left shows equality, where everyone is treated exactly the same. This image assumes that everyone will benefit from the same level of support. It assumes that equal treatment creates an equal society. But note how the tallest person is the one, the one who could see over the fence anyway. He has now got a footstool to stand on, which allows him to see even more of the game and get an even better view. The guy in the middle, he's doing pretty well, because at the start he couldn't see over the fence, but with this footstool, he now has a view. Isn't that great? But the last guy, unlucky for him, he got a footstool too, just like the others. But it's not high enough for him, and he still can't see over the fence. He still has no view. The image in the middle then shows what it is to treat people equitably. In this image, each individual is given an appropriate level of support based on their needs, which allows them to all have equal access to the game. Note that the tallest guy, he has no box to stand on because he doesn't need it. He could already see the game. For the middle guy, he gets a box to stand on so that he is at the same level as the first guy. And for the last guy, he needs two boxes to stand on because he needs that level of support to ensure that he now stands at the same level as the other two. And that's how you treat people equitably. And the image on the right shows liberation. It shows a level playing field, if you will. The image on the right shows all three viewing the game without any of them needing additional levels of support because the cause of their inequity has been removed. In the language of social justice that we've been using, the societal system that disadvantaged some has been removed. This is the goal. This creates an equal system where no one is disadvantaged simply by who they are or based on their circumstances. It means that everyone gets mishpat. And when we have reached this place, only when we are on this level playing field, is treating everyone equally going to work? Wow, okay, that really helps. But can I say it still seems a little unfair, the equity system, because it looks like some get preferential treatment. Hmm. Okay, so Google clarifies for me that giving preferential treatment or having a preferential attitude shows that you are partial to one person or one group of people. And if you act in a preferential way, it gives the person you prefer 
an advantage over everyone else. And then if this is the case, then I don't think that this image shows preferential treatment because did the guy on the right who stands on two boxes get any advantage over the others? No, he simply needed that level of support to get onto the same level as the others. He needed that level of support simply to take away his disadvantage. Allow me to demonstrate it maybe in a different way by reading from the beginning of Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus' teaching. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has 100 sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbours saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. The Pharisees and teachers of religious law thought that Jesus was showing preferential treatment towards the tax collectors and notorious sinners of their society, which, according to them, was for one, wrong, and for two, why? So Jesus used this parable to try and explain himself. That man had 100 sheep and he lost one of them, just one of them. He still has the other 99 sheep and who knows, the one that he lost might have been the runt of the litter or not a very nice sheep anyway. The Pharisees and teachers of religious law know that they would just carry on with the 99, that they would leave the one and be done with it. But Jesus describes this man doing the unthinkable. Leaving his 99 perfectly good sheep, he sets out into the wilderness to find this one sheep who has gotten lost. And to do that would have been quite undignified for a man wealthy enough to have 100 sheep in the first place. And when he finds that one sheep, that runt of the litter who was dumb enough to get themselves lost, he proudly carries that sheep back on his shoulders, where he proceeds to call together his friends and family and throw a lavish feast to celebrate the return of this lost sheep. And this just makes no sense, because the cost to put on this kind of celebration for the dumb sheep was probably worth more than the dumb sheep was even worth himself. What was this guy thinking? That shepherd, he should have just cut his losses and carried on with his 99 smart sheep and then things would have been fine. But he didn't do that. He didn't just want the 99 sheep. He wanted all of his sheep because all of them were so precious to him. In fact, all of his sheep were so precious to him that he was willing to make a valiant effort to reach out to the one sheep who was lost and bring him back into the flock so that they all, the shepherd and his whole 100 sheep, could go on together. 
If that shepherd hadn't made that extra special effort for that one sheep, that sheep would have been lost forever and probably would have ended up dead with no one to keep watch over it and protect it from predators. And social justice calls us to do the same for those disadvantaged in our societies. If we don't make the extra special effort to fight for justice for those who are called the least, then they will be lost forever to a system that does not look out for them and does not protect them. Does that make more sense? Yeah, thank you. That really helps. In order to get onto the same level, we need to remove the disadvantage others face. And we are the ones who can and should be working to do that. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly right. That's also why I touched on the subject of white privilege, because as those who have been privileged by the systems, we are the ones who can and need to step out of the way and to start making the changes that will lead to a more equal society. Our systems wrongly and unfairly give us the most social power and right now we are the ones who are the most able to affect the biggest and most positive change. And the way that we can affect that change is by intentionally giving away that social power through reaching out to and empowering those called the least in our societies instead of willingly staying blind to these issues in order to keep our hands clean. Jesus uses two other parables in Luke 15 to demonstrate his reasoning for eating with those considered the least. One is the parable of the lost coin and the last is the parable of the lost son. And I'd like to touch on part of the parable of the lost son. In the parable of the lost son, there is a father with two sons and the younger son asks the father for an advance on his inheritance. How rude. Surprisingly enough, though, the father agrees and he passes on to his young son the portion of all his land and his wealth, that which is rightfully his. The young son gleefully takes his inheritance and goes off to distant lands where he squanders all of the money he has and he ends up in a bit of strife. He has to take a job feeding pigs where even the pig's food is starting to look better than no food to him. The young son then realises his own strife and then makes a plan to, as humbly as possible, return home and beg his father to hire him as a labourer so at least he will have income and dignity enough to survive. I'll pick up the story from Luke 15 verse 20. So he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead, but now he is returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home and he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. 
Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. For his son, who had been away and squandered all of his wealth and returns home begging for a second chance, the father throws an elaborate celebration. He has the fattened calf killed so they can eat it, which in their time eating meat meant that this occasion was a big deal. And he has his boy dressed in a fine robe. He puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, for wearing sandals meant that you weren't just a slave, but you were a son. And amongst all the celebration and every good thing that is happening, we often forget that there is another son. Another son with whom the father had had to split his estate, meaning that everything that the father had that he hadn't given the younger son now actually belonged to the elder son. The older son is confused by the commotion. He doesn't understand why the silly young son, who made selfish and bad decisions, needs or even deserves a party. In fact, the whole thing makes him so mad that he refuses to join in. So the father, doing what no respectable party host should have done, leaves the party and goes out to his son and begs him to join in. But his older son responds with his own selfish complaints and what about me moment. The father sighs, unswayed by his elder son's emotive outburst and simply reminds him of what he already has and once again graciously invites him in. And the parable ends there. We don't hear what the elder son does. We don't get to know if he stays outside in his funk thinking, woe is me, or if instead he goes into the party and welcomes his brother in. We, Josh, you and me, and others who are like us, privileged by the societies we were raised in, we are the older brothers in this scenario. We are the ones who get to be a part of writing the end of the story. I'll say it again, our systems wrongly and unfairly give us the most social power. And right now, we are the ones who are the most able to affect the biggest change and most positive change. And the way that we can do that is by intentionally giving that power away through reaching out to and empowering those called least in our societies, instead of willingly staying blind to these issues in order to keep our hands clean. 
people in our societies are trapped by and are dying at the hands of systems that oppress them, systems that white culture is responsible for implementing. And if you feel like you want to argue your case or our case against that, if that riles you up and just seems so unfair, like you're being targeted as a white person, then I invite you now to sit with me in that sense of discomfort. And I ask that you allow that discomfort to lead you into a greater understanding of who social justice is concerned with, why you need to care about social justice, and how you can help to see justice brought to those who need it. Let's pray. May God bless you with discomfort and easy answers, half-truths and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger and injustice, oppression and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain to joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world, so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Amen.